0: Welcome to Tropical Popical for this very special episode of United Ireland uh, 32 Questions. Sitting um, opposite Andrea's fine Kate O'Connell. Now she occupies an unusual space in Irish politics in many ways. A then first uh, first term TD elected in 2016, she almost immediately had a large profile both in Leinster House and in national media. A pharmacist by trade, she emerged from dublin Bay South as part of a new generation of Finegalers alongside her constituency rival or comrade, depending on who you listen to, Anne Murphy. Throughout that term in government, she became one of the most high-profile Finegal figures in the repeal movement as it progressed to a referendum date. In the upcoming Repeal the Eighth documentary, we're reminded of her work on the Joint Committee on the Eighth Amendment and how impactful her words on that issue often were. Her strong position on women's reproductive rights earned the respect of activists, campaigners and voters who would never have dreamt of supporting Fine Gael, but were heartened by her hard-working feminist credentials. Yet in 2020, with Fine Gael sliding in the polls, it became clear that there would just be one seat for Fine Gael in her constituency. And although Owen Murphy's national reputation of housing minister was basically in tatters, his constituency still came out for him and O'Connell lost her seat. Politics is nothing if not unsentimental, But what happened after that downcast day at the Count Centre? How does Kate O'Connell feel about her party's role in a chaotic government that is experiencing what feels like a month's worth of drama every day since it formed? What can we learn from politicians who are, perhaps only momentarily, out of the game? Welcome to 32 Questions for Kate O'Connell. Hello, Kate.
1: Hello, how are you all? It's lovely to see real people.
0: (laughs) I'm going to scooch a little bit bit forward with my little uh, very, very long arm here so we maintain our distance safely Um, Andrea, do you want to kick these guys off? Sure. What is your idea of perfect happiness?
1: Oh, just peace. I mean, I have three kids. Just to be able to close the door and have a cup of tea uninterrupted to me is happiness. It might seem very simple. um, But I suppose right now I'm just back from um, one of my most um, loved parts of Ireland. I've just spent time down in West Kerry where I just love hanging out with my kids, running around in fields, running down the beach, and uh, having three meals at home with my family every day. So for me, that's happiness.
0: Do you prefer being an entrepreneur to being a politician?
1: Um, I would have always considered myself kind of an entrepreneurial politician. Um, And I've always been, um, I suppose, entrepreneurial from from a child. I mean, my mother says how I used to um, save up sweets and sell them back to my siblings, um, at Lent. (laughs) Um, There was an annual event (coughs) in the run-up to Easter, where the black market and sweets went on in our house. So from from an early age, I wanted to own a shop, um, much to my parents' disappointment, um, but that shop became a pharmacy. Um, So I love being a pharmacist, and, and that's why, I suppose, leaving politics, temporarily or not, wasn't so difficult because I absolutely love being a community pharmacist um, to the point that long before politics, many of my friends used to joke, if you won the lotto, you'd be opening the shutter the next morning. And um, That's just how it is. And I, I, I just love, I just love that, that job in the community.
2: Which living person do you most admire? Um, possibly um, right now, my mother-in-law. Um,
1: as I get older... Um, I'm very lucky to have um, a very close relationship with her. She's a pharmacist as well. She raised six kids. Um, I'm one of six and we've worked together for fifteen years. Um, she's worked alongside me as a mentor. She's eighty in September. She still has the blow dry nearly every day. She wears the leopard skin heels and she's, she's funky. she's because of her, her life in community pharmacy. For an older woman, she's so open, she's so liberal, she doesn't judge, and she's 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 always there for me. I'm i like her daughter, even though I'm a daughter-in-law, but I admire her because I look at her life and I look at what she's achieved. Um, in terms of business, but in terms of her family, and I have I have I have. She's not a famous person; she's well known in in Dublin. Um, but um, I I look to her a lot. Um, so she's, she's just a normal person that I hugely admire.
0: Which living person do you most despise?
1: Oh, easily Donald Trump. It's, it's, it's without question because, again, I had time on holidays to look at some documentaries on BBC and BBC and Channel 4 and that and just tracking back. I, I used to be a huge OK and Hello magazine fan, one in my 20s. Um, So I I would have seen all those pictures of Melania, Trump and Don getting married and all that crack. But actually looking back on it in a documentary, it shocks me and frightens me that somebody who's essentially just a puppet and a celebrity has his hands on the red button and the destruction he's causing. If you look at his language, we all know this. um, It really disturbs me that somebody like him got to where he is and how dangerous it is for humanity, essentially, as we've seen in recent months.
2: Maybe possibly linked, but what is your greatest fear? <sighs> um,
1: I'm actually not really afraid of anything, um, possibly mice. But other than that, um, I, I'm actually not a fr- I, I don't have fears like that. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not a fearful person um, at all, so I don't, I don't really fear anything. What happens happens, what happened has happened. So I, I, don't,
0: I don't live like that. What do you think is your most dominant personality trait? Huh. Well,
1: I suppose, um, I don't know. Um, perhaps my turn of phrase. I mean, it's very hard to judge yourself. Um, I think that's a question for somebody else to answer. Um, I don't know. Um, Perhaps um, my voice is quite distinctive, I'm told. Um, it's probably the, the flat West Meath coming out, um, despite decades in Dublin. Um, but um, I don't know. Um, I think that's someone else's question to answer.
2: Would you contest another election?
1: Well, like, Of course I'd con- contest another election. So sure, there might be a Residents Association meeting or something I need to, to go for. But um, um, possibly. I haven't ruled it out. I haven't ruled it in either. Um, and I'm not sure what, what guys that would take. Um, in terms of party politics, that's the party's decision. Um, in terms of other politics, that's my decision. Um, so I love politics um, and always have. Um, so I would never rule it out.
0: You've said um, that you're a Fine through and through. Mm. What draws you so strongly to the party because people who gravitate towards Finnefall or Finnegall, their ideologies are rarely questioned the same way that people who, who gravitate towards other parties.
1: Yeah, so I suppose my history is um, I was brought up in rural Westmeath um, in, in quite deprived circumstances, something I haven't spoken about before. Um, I was one of six. My father had a, a job and my mother didn't work. She was a nurse that gave up her job because of the marriage ban. And um, <clears throat> I lived in a house with no fridge until the 90s. Um, we had a small farm. We, we had never had mechanical machinery. We had an ass and cart in the 90s when nobody had. Um, we were big into turf cutting, um, something that uh, some, <clears throat> some people like to use perhaps against me at times. Um, and um, the focus in our house was politics. We we'd no television, actually. It was another... Thing um, we never had a television in my house growing up, but the radio was on all the time, and the paper was bought every day. Um, so my grandfather ran for Fine Gael, my mother's father, in the nineteen in the sixties, seventies around that time, um, the time of Burke Cowan and uh, the late Burke Cowan, and um, that was down in Westmead. And despite my mother having Nothing, essentially, apart from her smarts. Um, her social outlet was solely Fine Gael meetings. And we were brought up in a house that education... Um, and that education was the pathway out, or the pathway away from the ass and cart, as such. And various phrases my mother used to use at home, like, when you're tired of... Th- if you don't do your lessons, when you're tired of the spade, you'll be told to pick up the shovel... And then she would say, if you don't do your homework, you'll be going out of here in the morning with a USA biscuit tin under your arm, which was a reference to um, working as a labourer. So I suppose to answer your question, I came from a family that was rooted in farming, um, community activism, GAA. Um, My grandfather played a lot of football for Westmeath. And um, educating large families, but also caring about other families. And that whole idea of wanting a 32-county Ireland, the slogan of the Fine Gael Party is the United Ireland Party, that is the slogan of our party since the start, Um, but also a strong sense of public service and a strong sense of opportunity for everyone. And was brought up in that we canvassed our membership um, in the Midlands and the membership that I uh, I had uh, had, uh, met throughout the country as I canvassed on the Eighth Amendment but also in the leadership campaign were reflective of those people. So the grassroots Fine Gael members are people I identify with and they identify with the core principles of the parties equality of opportunity um, that everybody, no matter where they come from... I mean, when you think of six kids in a house in Westmeath with no fridge, with neither parent in university, to have six children a vet, a doctor, two engineers a journalist and I don't know what else I might be missing one of them You know, to have achieved that and that was achieved through free education in this country and grants and accommodation grants so that was how that was achieved it was through hard work and I believe they're the core values of Fine Gael that I aspire to and that so many people around the country that I have met and still are such good friends with and in contact with but also that Gareth Fitzgerald element of being progressive that was the way my parents was. It wasn't the Cosgrave, it was the, the Fitzgerald way, that open mind. And also I was lucky. My father worked as a bus conductor in Birmingham. And um, he didn't get married until his his early 30s, which at the time was quite late. And then he became a civil servant in the Department of Agriculture. But he actually brought a lot of knowledge from that experience of having that job in the UK. And a lot of bias, <laughs> and a lot of notions about um, people and that obviously informed or maybe made me a little bit biased in ways but um we had a great upbringing at home in terms of that whole public service caring about other people and um wanting to better yourself in life but also a strong sense of my mother another one she also if you if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything and that's something that I think I let go through my head every morning I walked into Leinster House.
2: Would you ever leave Fine Gael and go somewhere more hospitable?
1: There's nothing inhospitable about Fine Gael. Um, and uh, I've no desire to um, jump ship to, to anywhere else. I still believe the core values of the Fine Gael membership and the ethos of the party is the same as it was and has been for generations. Perhaps there are certain elements or, or groupings within the party that might um, be left or right of that, um, but um, the core focus, the centrist view of Fine Gael, to my mind, is where I am best placed.
0: Um, there was al- always an awful lot of chatter between uh, the kind of jostling... Um, between yourself and, 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 and Owen and Murphy in the constituency and then when the election in 2020 came around. Um, were you angry that he got elected over you, especially given his, his poor run as housing minister? He almost became like this spectre where people were projecting their disappointments with regards to the direction of the country in terms of the housing crisis. You spoke about his form before. Um, what are your feelings in, in around that? Is it mostly kind of anger
1: Oh no, it's not anger. Um, I'm a realist. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm good at sums, so I could see the writing on the wall. I mean, uh, stats don't lie, and I knew there wasn't going to be some spectacular um, result in Dublin Bay South just because myself and Owen Murphy were there. Um, I was very much aware of myself from the early days that it was really a struggle to retain two seats, um, and then um, when when you're up against a cabinet minister who is in the inner circle of the leader of the party, you know, you are naturally at a disadvantage because you don't have the resources or the stats or the polling data. Um, So I felt that perhaps, the only thing I'd say is that I felt it wasn't a level playing field in terms of um, the support went completely towards Eoin Murphy from the constituency. I shouldn't say 100% because I had a few loyal women that stood with me and a couple of men Um, but as the campaign went on and as we got into the last 10 days my I suppose members that were assigned to canvas with me were leeching into his group and it was very obvious to me, it was very obvious when I turned up for a meet and greet in Rathgar where I own one of the most prominent businesses that I only had a couple of people, so to me it was there in front of me I'm not in any way angry um but it wasn't a level playing field as such because you're a are minister against a backbencher um but I I, I ran it close <laughs> I ran it very close and um it, it wasn't far off I think I mean I actually still haven't looked at the boxes which is highly unusual for me I just I'm not prepared to look at it um But I do think the vote left, transfer left did affect me. Um, And also, in political parties, when there's a chance, you know, it could have been dodgy there at a time where both seats could have been lost. Um, You will always have a push in the party to retain one of the two seats, and that's done by phone calls, letters, intensive drops. um, And that was done on that side. So it wasn't a David and Goliath in terms of, you know... um, Capabilities. It was a David and Goliath in terms of resources, and I'm not talking money; I'm talking info and bodies on the ground. Um, but like that, and despite what anyone says, myself and Noah Murphy have a really good relationship. Um, in terms of, we'd always have a chat and a coffee. Well, back when you could have coffees with people, um, but um, that's 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 how she rolls. But like that, it was it was it was difficult, and as you mentioned. I mean, I spent an awful lot of of the campaign defending Owen Murphy, you know. Um, The first night I went canvassing um, in Rathgar area was the night of the the tragic incident on the canal. I can't remember the gentleman's name so long ago, but the the tent and all that horrible stuff that just was just awful. And I was there defending that. And then, I suppose, (laughs) to be beaten by the person that... um, Everyone was giving out to you on the door. You know, (laughs) that kind of, you know, hurt a little bit. But I wasn't angry. That's just how it rolls, and that's democracy. Why haven't you looked at the boxes? I'm just afraid to see... I mean, the the turnout was very low. I think it was 48%. It was, I think, one of the lowest turnouts in the country. The day was a beautiful day. My... I'm rearing kids in the area, so without sounding too stereotypical, I mean... People have their routines with kids in the area, and they get up and they go to sports with their kids in the morning. Ireland was playing. I know people didn't turn out to vote. I know by looking at them in the eye when I meet them on the road. I would, I would never look at the marked register, because there are people I am sure that just thought they. Might, I mean, I know because I'm working in Rathgar now. There was an element of people thought perhaps I was safe, or, or I didn't need the vote, or, or whatever. Um, But I, I, yes, I suppose if you look at the stats and you go, God, if I'd gone onto that road or if I did a letter drop, I would have got the 200 votes that would have swung it. So um, I'm probably ready for that now. I just haven't had
2: time. As someone who actually loves working with her sister, would you be looking to work with your sister again? Do you like working with your sister? Well, I have three sisters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have worked with two of them in the past. Um, My sister Teresa, my sister Mary... And my sister Alison is in Australia um, trying to deal with the pandemic over there she's a doctor um, of course I'd work with my with my sister sisters sister <laughs> or sisters again um, at any time um, I'm really lucky to have a um, nice tight-knit family and uh, we are um, in the dominant position we have a uh, um females and 40% males in our household which to my mind is perfect balance
0: (laughs) what do you consider your proudest moment um I I I I, can I I don't not
1: really like that I I don't kind of go I'm so proud of that I um I I mean uh, some of my proudest moments can be things like you know sanding a, a cupboard and, a, and filling it and painting it and being perfect again so that's the sort of way I am, I, I, I don't kind of deal in that sort of stuff um, achievement and and that is sort of different but pride I'm, I'm not really like that, I don't get into that sort of stuff, I'm going to go oh wow look at me today, what I achieved. that's not how I operate at all
2: Well if you don't deal in pride and you deal in achievement, what's your greatest achievement? Um it's not one thing. Um,
1: but it's I suppose it's 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 how and this is my own view on it and the other people involved might might argue it, it's it's how I didn't let I didn't let the Fine Gael party tell me I, I did, let tell me I was wrong with regard to repeal. And then how after such a short period of time in Leinster House I worked cross-party and gained trust, which is a very difficult thing in politics because generally someone's there behind you with a knife. So I see it as my greatest achievement, not the repeal, obviously, but the precursor to that, which was to gain the trust, which was unique for Fina Gaylor, of people like Lynn Ruan, Claire Daly in particular, those two women in particular, um Roisin Shortall um Owen Lisa Chambers and Ivana Batchik, I think so the we were working together behind the scenes but because we were the party in government I had to to, to to do it in the parliamentary party which was really unpleasant and I mean you two ladies know but lots of people forget what happened before this was unheard of and you need to believe me when I tell you that when I mentioned this at the start of my time in Fianna Gale and we were having meetings on the fifth floor I know there was people in that room that wanted to throw me out that window and they wouldn't have cared one thing about life or pro-life it was get rid there was no appetite for it in some quarters so I think my greatest achievement is that cross-party work and that trust I built and that I wasn't coming back as the, the, the talking mouth of the government. I was, it was purely focused on women's rights, human rights, and equality. and op- but opening, But not just for the sake of it. We had to open up the conversation about how this came to be. That other people, especially men, thought they had some right over our bodies, our wombs, and ultimately our lives and our prospects as women. And again, back to my parents, my mother and father were really open about that and about the stigma abortion um, brought um, to families or even there was a rumour of it or if there was a rumour of a girl getting a bus to Dublin to get the boat to England or whatever. So I was very much aware of the reality of rural life and abortion, I was very aware of the reality of life where women ended up having children they didn't want and the subsequent impact on their career while the people that had decided that this was the right path for them were having great careers. So um, <clears throat> for me, it wasn't just... And it, it never has been about repeal in, in, in the pure sense. It's been... And it's not over yet, clearly. It's about women and um women being in society being pigeonholed into a certain way and that all stemming from the fact that we are the custodians of the wombs which i think bothers a lot of people who don't have wombs
0: um sorry i'm just picking up these questions here uh what's the biggest mistake in your life so far and what did you learn from it um
1: again I, I i mean you make mistakes, but i mean, I don't really made any massive mistake in my life um i i again i i I have made mistakes, obviously we've all made mistakes um but I have not made any mistake that I go you know the any mistake I've made at the time that was the information I had at the time. Um, you know, we all say things at times or we, all, we might make commentary at times but I, I mean, I've, I've made mistakes but I don't, I don't, see, I don't really I, again, it like, I, I don't really see it like that I, I, I just, I, we all do wrong things none of us are perfect um, but um, I don't, I don't do regret or worrying about things that happened in the past I just like to learn from it constant continual professional development in life what is your greatest extravagance oh this is so easy (laughs) really good quality kitchen towel (laughs) the really fancy stuff with the indents in it the thirst pockets none of this recycled single ply i love good kitchen towel I refer to it as my middle-class luxury at home. (laughs) And anyone that brings in 18 packs of recycled whatever, not having it, good quality kitchen towel is my fancy thing in life.
2: What is your motto? If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Who do you think are the upcoming stars in any Irish political party? Oh, um...
1: And not Fina Well, it can be. Oh, um, oh we'll, we'll end with those. So in um, Fianna Fall, I see Lisa Chambers um, as as possibly... Um, well, not possibly. She is the one. I'm so sorry she lost her, her doll seat. Um, and she had a horrible campaign. From what I hear from down there, not from Lisa, from other people down there. Um, I think... Um, and have they to be in the oroctus, or can they well, be um, I think um, Hazel Chew obviously is the, the current Lord Mayor is, is, is interesting um, don't agree with half of her policies but she's extremely capable and very articulate um, and then if I have to go to the Shinners um, without doubt Louise Riley uh, extremely capable extremely decent to work with um straight down the line sat in the health committee with her um alan kelly i see alan kelly as maturing into his role and i don't mean that in any concept. understatement of um, the year <laughs> um again i worked with with alan and on public accounts and the health committee and um it was interesting at times um but um i really do hope it works out for alan um because he does actually care and there's a bit of gruff and bluff, there used to be before he matured. Um, but that's 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 just Alan. But I, I really do hope that he takes the Labour Party to where the, the Labour Party should sit in the politi- in, in the political setting. Um, so I wish him the, really the best to look. And then within Fianna Gael, I mean, I'm very good friends with Simon Harris. I consider him a good friend, um, and I've worked with him obviously. Extremely closely on the Eighth Amendment, but also through the cervical check scandal, which was something particularly close to me. Um, and um, I see um, Simon Harris as having an enormous capacity to read stuff and get it and deliver it back. And I've never seen the like of that in anybody else I've worked with within the Fine Party, that capacity to take a new concept that he didn't know anything about before learn it and when he's really good at he's really good at taking advice or listening to it he might not take advice but he will listen to advice um, and he surrounds himself with people who who aren't out to get him um, so I think he's definitely within Feene Gael. am I missing anyone at all In the sock dams um, I can't think of the lady's name now this morning um, from down the south what's her name the new girl the new Holly yes yes what's her name what's
0: wrong me this morning I can't remember her name Holly
1: Holly Holly
0: Holly Holly <laughs> she's married to Fianna Fáil TD yes um uh her.
2: sorry
1: yes exactly um from
0: what I've heard
1: of her um in the media um she seems extremely capable um and um seems to have um Seems to have, have, have real reasons for entering politics, um, public service. Um, so I think she's one to watch too. Um, and I don't think there's really anyone on the independent benches that I would be watching.
0: Um, do you think things would have turned out differently for you if Simon Coveney had been elected Taoiseach?
1: Uh, hard to know. I uh, don't know. Um, oh, she look, I mean... You, <laughs> moment in time, it's hard to know. Possibly. Possibly. Dunno. Um he's he he was the taunch and, and it didn't make much odds, so I'm not sure whether if he was they shook <laughs> it would have made any odds, do you know what I mean? Um but um yeah, I like that. I've a lot of time for Simon Coveney and his family. Um obviously got to know them all very well there a few years ago. Um but um an excellent politician dedicated to public service and uh not in it for himself in it for ireland so um like that he's he's obviously not one to watch up on coming he's a long time around but um it'll be interesting
2: to see how the next week goes did phil hogan's actions surprise you which part of them they're going to <laughs> the, they going to
1: the golf the statements um the arrogance um well, I had the privilege of having um, loads of time to listen to it because, happily, my husband joined me with the kids on holidays. So I just said, I'm really busy and locked myself in the car <laughs> uh, for four days um, listening to it. I suppose what I, what I found interesting about it was, and, and again, this is my own view, is that immediately, my immediate sense, and I, I'm not sure if the, the bubble that's spoken about in Leinster House was part of this, I have been working on the front line in a late-night pharmacy that extended it hours, not reduced their hours. I am, since the start of the pandemic, um, I think we were the first business to have perspex up in the area. We were on the ball. Sure, I was at home doing nothing. I had nothing else but to organise. Um, and I knew, the minute I saw it, I went... They all have to go. I knew from people's... I'm the person that has had to develop the photographs on the machine and leave them an envelope outside for funerals. I'm the person that has had to, you know, throw the medicines on the doorstep and run out. I know what people are going through. I've, I've sent the hair dye down to the hospice for the people that didn't want to look bad going into the body bag. I mean, I've had that conversation. Um, and I just knew. I went, how could they do this? And it is wrong. I don't care about regulations in the sense that 50, 80, 1, 2 partitions, it's irrelevant, the technicalities. The idea that, I mean, even the idea that a golf trip would be essential. I mean, none of us are doing things that aren't essential. Um, so I knew immediately, and I have all the text messages. They all have to go. Um, but what I what, what what became clear straight away, is, and it's my own view, that I think Phil applied the way he would have dealt with a problem twenty years to a problem in twenty twenty,
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: doesn't wash anymore. Because um, you can't get away with it. You can't because people see on the road, someone snaps you, someone toll bridge, whatever. You know, it's not that people are being followed, but it's just you can't be telling porkies, and and also the attitude, um, because there's people suffering now that never suffered before. There's people who could never have 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 imagined that a pandemic would happen, and that their coffee shop wouldn't open, or their hairdresser, or whatever, um, or their their Big office block. So, this my my immediate thing was: Do politicians think that because they were deemed essential workers, is that do they actually interpret that as exempt? Because it doesn't mean exempt. Because in our house, the two of us were essential workers, but I still wouldn't make a sneaky visit to Johnstown Garden Centre even though I could have easily thrown a bag of tablets on the front seat of the car and gone, oh, I'm delivering medicine. You just don't do it. So that's what bugged me. It was the exemption element of it. And I think that's what bugged other people too. It was a pandemic for other people. And, you know, my my brother lost his mother-in-law to COVID, so we've had a COVID death in the family in the very early stages. Um, And, again... I know what it's like. I couldn't go to that funeral, and um, it was in Tipperary, and my Tipperary sister stood outside with a mask on her, and I was afraid to go down because i had been working in the pharmacy. So my brother was there, but none of with just minimum family. Um, so that's r- replicated across the country, and the heart it's brought, and like even, like, I know a lady. Um, who married? I think she's married seventy years, sixty or seventy years. Now she did get to see her husband the night before he died. Now he didn't die of COVID; he died of of being ninety six or seven. But they were married that long. She hadn't seen him since March, and I mean, I got a picture from um, her son of her leaning across the husband which I'll show you after, actually. Um, you know, this old lady in her 90s, leaning across her husband with a mask on, she hadn't seen him for months. Um, and maybe she was delighted, I know, but uh, you know, she hadn't seen him for months. And, and, and what that does to a family and a relationship, um, that they just, the, the, the people, all of the people that went to that outing, um just seem to have missed that part, and uh, i I actually think the whole thing is very concerning. Um, I just hope there was no more events, unnecessary shindigs going on, um, but um you know personal responsibility is not just for normal people, it's for everybody.
0: Uh, did you ever encounter sexism in Fine Gael that you could kind of very much name or that had an impact on you? It's it's hard to, it's hard to, um, to actually,
1: to, 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 see, sexism is such a broad thing. And, you know, you know, some people think it's like a slap in the arse kind of thing or, you know, a pinch in the bum or whatever. But um, there was all there, there, there's a, there's a bias there. There's a, it's it sort of, it's sort of built in. Um, an unconscious bias because of the way people are brought up, um, in in or well, not brought up but in 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 politics because it's so male dominated, and I just think because, again, it changed when when I was elected because there was far more women in the Fine Gael party, um, in the parliamentary party room, um, but I do think. I do think there is there is still among some people the idea, a commentary about women that would never be said about men um, personally again, I, I just any of it, I just ignore it and any time anyone made any comment um, I remember one particular senator making a comment actually about my sister that uh, the only reason she knew so much about politics was because of I, it was referred to as pillow talk. So I had to pull him up on that. Uh, I don't think he ever got such a roasting um, in his life. Um, and um, so, so I think, I suppose, it became known very, easy, very, very quickly when I was elected that I would have no tolerance for that carry on. Um, but like that, I mean, in terms of policy, um, I mean, you can have sexist policies. I mean, I don't necessarily, it's not, I don't necessarily, I don't agree um with the policy of um the parental leave um model um that was pursued and this is just my own view because you know it's not about giving parents extra time at home it's giving parents the choice if they want to be at home but the policies i felt to some extent were pursued was like you know that you know there was all towards staying at home but it's not. It's. It's not proven that parents who stay at home five days a week make better kids. So there's no, to my mind, reason why its policy should be about um, paying me to stay at home. It should be about paying a parent X amount of money, and if they want to use that for childcare, let them. You know. Do, do you get what I'm saying? That that it was too prescriptive, um, um, and you know, pigeonholing people into um, that staying at home is better. But staying at home is not proven to be better. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it's about choice again for me. So that if I choose to work three days a week and stay at home two days a week, fine. But if I choose to work five days a week, well, let me have that money to pay my childcare. Um, And again, it'll probably change now because of COVID. Um, And I feel that... Um, parents have should have more of a choice when it comes to child minders in the home, um, and that element of of, of things, there, there there's very little um, provision for that at the minute, um, and that's because the policy. And I'm again, not many people would say this, but I'm a huge fan of James Reilly. i is a very, very progressive politician that got a hard time, I think just because of his beard. But anyway, I'm been a doctor, but he was very progressive in terms of of um of 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 childcare um his time as children's minister um but it was all about quality so the idea was that you would have control over the, the 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 place where children were being put but I mean I would argue that parents can make those decisions themselves and if they make the wrong decisions well be it on their heads because they're their kids. Um, so I do think what I'd like to see in childcare going forward now is that it's more about empowering families to work the way they want and that the resources are allocated to the families and then they decide what's best for their families. Because as it stands, people who work shift work, people who work um, antisocial hours, perhaps journalists, um, guardi, nurses, pharmacists, uh, on-call doctors, the current system does not serve any of us. And if... You were to actually break it down to essential workers. I actually, and again, I, I haven't done the raw data on it. The childcare system suited essential workers the least. So when um, the you know what hit the fan in March, it was all the essential workers had to go out, no childcare, and the only people that I know that had a seamless, or nobody had seamless, but had a, a handier transition. Were the people that are child minors in the home. Mm. And I think there's a learning in that. Um, so I think childcare, I can't even remember what the question was at this stage, <laughs> but uh, I think childcare has to change. Um, because I think that the model that's being pursued at the minute is, is too prescriptive, um, and I'm not sure if it's working.
2: What were the actions that took place that led to the choir boys singing for their supper comment? Oh, this is great. <laughs> so, um, I
1: love this story. So, um, how long do we have? Um, or can we just do another interview for this one? <laughs> so, uh, the sequence of events is, is that I was in my bathroom at home, and I think it was a Friday. Um, so, I think the leadership... And I'm going... I should have actually looked into this, but I think someone can... I'm sure someone will correct me. But I think the, the declaration for the leadership was on the... The nomination papers was in Thursday, and I was scheduled long before uh, the leadership campaign to speak at a coffee mor- or an afternoon tea in the Horse and Jockey in Tipperary, where my sister Mary uh, was. She wasn't running at that stage; she was active in Fine Gael, and I think Deirdre Clune or someone was. I think it was Deirdre Klune was speaking as well. So anyway, I was at home getting ready, and Jamie, Jamie <laughs> in English, rang me, and there was a meeting at whatever time. And he said the meeting's been pulled forward I mean I was getting ready I mean you can't just you know yourselves <laughs> I was kind of in the in the bathrobe going yeah no problem be in the minute oh. so um, my husband um, I roared down the stairs and I said uh, I have to go I have to go now and I'm gone I'm gone for the weekend and he came up um, I used to call it the presidential suite in our house it was just the attic shower but anyway <laughs> um, so he came up to the presidential suite and uh, I said, oh, Jesus, Darren, I think this is, this is, this is not going to go great. Because everybody had been, I'd, I'd seen the sequence of people coming out and people were starting to come out that had pledged support for Simon Coveney. So, like, it was really, really pulling away from us. And himself, anyway, I got a lecture. He said, how are you going to face the children if you don't keep going? You have nailed your name to a mast, and you have to keep going. And what are you going to... Oh, the lecture I got. What are you going to tell the kids if they want to give up something? They go, well, Mammy, you said in the past that you were going to do this. So anyway, basically, himself convinced me... He'd probably deny all this, but he did convince me that you can't just jump ship because it's not going right. And I was really annoyed because... Like, I could see it happening... I could see that it had been decided that the person who won was going to win. And many people, there was this critical mass where it was snowballing. And people that I knew had absolutely would never in a million years have voted the way they were going to vote. But they were voting that way because he was going to win. Um, And it became very clear then with the Electoral College aspect of it um, that there would be no requirement um, for the membership or even the councillors that it would be won based purely on the parliamentary party's position. So I went into Leinster House, had a meeting somewhere in secret place with all the secret people, and then I went down to the car and I headed to Tipperary. So I went into Tipperary and we had our afternoon tea and it, then it dawned on me during the speeches that Tipperary had no Aractus member. They would no senator, as in Fine Gael, Oireachtas member. So therefore, the membership in Fine Gael, it did, they would have had no say in the leadership. Am I losing you here? No, no. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And the women, particularly, because it was an afternoon tea, there was a few men knocking about, was predominantly rural, Fine Gael, hard-working... You know farming business women and they were raging so they kind of cranked me up a bit so then I headed off and I started giving out and my sister was in the front seat of the car and I said I can't believe it I said because it was like half an hour before the one o'clock news then somebody come out for coveney then there'd be somebody out so it was very coordinated it was so coordinated said there's such a shower of coordinated I said give me another C and she said don't say it <laughs> I said give me another C I said they're choreographed it's so, so choreo I said give me another C she said don't say that word I said there's such a shower of choreographed coordinated choir boys and I said and they're singing for their supper she said are you going to say that I said I don't even have a notebook. So I pulled into a petrol station. I bought the smallest notebook, I think A e- whatever, A one hundred. And um, I just wrote choreographed choir boys singing for their supper. Anyway, I also um, heard a rumour when I got to Clare from a former parliamentarian that the two sitting TDs had an embargoed press release. So that Simon Coveney was going down to Cl- he was going to Clare. I was going to Clare. Pat Breen and Joe Carey were sitting in the front row. Simon Coveney was just delivering a fantastic speech about saving the world and saving Ireland and saving everything. And they were all smiling up at him and I had heard on the way... Now, I didn't know 100% that they had an embargo press release that they were coming out for of Leopold Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And I felt like throwing the glass of water. So it was really at, at them, honestly. And... It actually, the more Coveney spoke, I was like, you should be the leader. Well, obviously, I thought that was supporting him. And I was looking at the two lads going, you're so disingenuous sitting there clapping at him because you're going to knife him at midnight. So that all boiled up, and I got up my teeny-weeny bit of paper, and I actually don't know the detail of the speech, but I do distinctly remember Simon Coveney's face he was literally flat at the back of his chair with his eyes open. And I kept looking at the two, the former TD, Pat Breen, or former minister, Pat Breen, and Joe Carey, if to say, I know what you're at. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't sit well with them, but uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> and I don't regret it. And um, I'll tell you, there was great support in the room. And again, if you don't stand for anything... You'll fall for her. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything.
0: We're going to do quick fire round now. Are you ready? <laughs> uh, what's your tipple?
1: What <laughs> um, and tonic.
0: What do you value most in your friends?
1: Um, loyalty.
0: Do you think finnegal are genuinely looking to have a good working relationship with Finnegall?
2: No. What three words would you use to describe Leo Vrecker? Um, Intelligent,
1: strategic and ruthless.
0: What's something you can't go a day without doing?
2: Um, Drinking coffee. Uh, do you think Irish politics will be able to escape the boys club way of doing things as showcased by Golfgate Irish politics um, is still a boys club so it has
1: it's it's still ongoing am I not answering the question do you think we're
2: going to get out of that move away are we on the journey
1: oh yeah the women are going to rise it's just the problem is that every time the women rise, there's something more important. There's a pandemic. There's Brexit. There's always some other excuse. But I firmly believe, because I'm rearing two girls and one boy, and my sisters are rearing women and men, and the next generation won't be taking any of this crap.
0: Um, what is your favourite song? Oh. <laughs> um, look, um...
1: I'm really not cool at all. Um, what, What? I mean, what do I listen to? I listen to, um, I mean, I love Pulp and I love Ash and all that, but I, I'd, I, I mean, Karma Police, I would listen to when I'm kind of trying to cool down. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a really, I have a really mad playlist on my phone. Like, I have Joe Dolan's album and I have Girls Aloud. <laughs> And I have Soundgarden. So uh, I have quite a diverse repertoire. I will dance to pretty much anything. And I will sing to anything. Um, I, I, I probably... Uh, I use my... Anastasia as well. Um, Rise is particularly... Um, you know, that got me through uh, a lot of... Um, that's actually probably... Yeah, it changes. So probably since the election, I have gone out with the weed killer out of the garden or the shovel and i put anastasia on rise and i go i'll be back lads <laughs> you mightn't
2: see me coming
1: but i'll see you again
2: as a pharmacist what do you think is the best way to handle all the conspiracy theories around health vaccines and COVID? um science just fact on
1: science and as I did in politics, as I do in my life, it's, it's something that's it's my core thing, it's fact, science and evidence base.
0: You are talking about um, Fitzgerald earlier and your own reasons for like gravitating towards Fine Gael and the, the values that they hold for you. Um, and obviously a party can be many things to many different people. Um, Leah Varadkar's Fine Gael seems to be a different kind of, of beast ideologically um, he was not necessarily known for. I think it, there seems to be a sense that he kind of likes poking the bear. Let's say, like even on Twitter, um, he he kind of says things that people are just like, "What are you on about?" You know, mm. um, that often feel quite Tory-like and things like that. What what direction do you think finnegal is is heading uh, now? Like, what do you think is their plan ideologically under his? Leadership, because it seems <laughs> to well, it seems to be uh, uh, quite far away from uh, the Fitzgerald's Gael.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I suppose we, we use the term a broad church to try and cover up all these things, um, but um, I think the party is 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 probably I think politics, but I think Fine Gael as a party is is at a, a, a moment of change. Um, I think there's going to be. Um, I th- I think the party has to decide what it is. You cannot be all things to everybody. Um, it is it is the broad church helps, but you know the division over things like the Eighth Amendment bother me because the views of certain people within the party and Leo Varadkar was, was pro life until very. I mean this is like he didn't come out as 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 pro repeal. I think I think it was the late January. After the LCD gig? Yeah, I, I think it was, it, yeah, it was, it, uh, there was Michal Martin came out before that, I think, if I remember the sequence. But, um, you know, it concerns me, it, it that wouldn't concern me if Leo Vrak was 23, but as a 40, whatever, one year old doctor, that kind of does concern me. Um, because I go, hmm, how have you gone to this stage with not kind of growing up out of those views? Um, so, I think that the party perhaps has to decide um, what it is and I hope that what emerges is centrist um, and is true to the Fitzgerald um, era and that train of thought within the party and not the other way. I hope that's what wins out. And... My feeling is it is what will win out because if you look at the people who are coming up through the party, Helen Mackin, McEnt- well, she's there as Minister for Justice, but she's a young progressive woman. Hildegard Nocton sat in that committee, very much underestimated um, politician, keeps to herself extremely capable and somebody that through the Eighth Amendment was able to go from point A to point B through learning process and through this journey that everyone sort of um spoke about so i'm hoping people like that are the future of the party and that they are very much aligned and harris obviously and Coveney took him a while but uh got him there in the end um so when you think of it anyway um <laughs> yeah I, i'm hoping that that's the way um the party is positioned to the future. And I think if Fine Gael do that, um, they have a great chance of being the dominant party. But I think if if, if the writer elements of the party um, gain ground within the party, I think it will be sad for Fine Gael. And it would be in no way aligned with what my experience is of normal, down to earth people in rural ireland and in dublin that just want a better country for their families and for other people's families too which is the core part of it
2: what's your perfect night out oh
1: again we're back to the piece again so it actually starts long before the night out it means a shower that's uninterrupted by children It means having my tweezers exactly where I left it. These are all really small things, but they just all... That my hairdryer is there and that, you know, I can find my stuff that the girls haven't robbed at all. And then once I get to that point of the childminder turning up, I'm not too much into going out for dinner because I love cooking. And I'm really good at it, by the way. (laughs) I love the process of cooking. I like I peel prawns and things and take the guts out. I mean this is the sort of thing I do. And so it's really hard for me to go for dinner because I'm like, hmm, could do that better myself. So I like to go for sort of ethnic food like you know, Chinese food or or Lebanese food or sort of that sort of things I wouldn't have a clue how to cook that or really fine dining. So I would prefer to go once to chapter one in the year I never go to any other restaurant. I have a 300 hundred euro voucher burning a hole in the drawer at home from Christmas, dying to go. Um, and then it would involve not too much wine, not a massive wine person, kind of have it with the dinner for the sake of it, and then the vodkas and tonics, um, and then I'm sure it's all gone now. But um, don't really like sweaty bars. Love Bruxelles. Love that sort of... All gone, singing bars, all gone. Love Brook Um big coppers. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to coppers since 1998. I think whenever it opened, I I was there. Do you have a gold card? Oh no, I <laughs> I uh, I went to college in England, so um, I I had to. I I just didn't have the points. Do you know what I mean for the for the gold card? You know, <laughs> um, it was only at the weekends, and then. Um, you know, going mad at that, and then home to—well, I can't go home to my own house anymore because the kids. But back in the day, home and like sitting outside on the step until the birds are singing—that's an ideal
0: night out for me. And finally, when and where were you happiest?
1: Now I'm happy. Now I'm happy every day. I I live every day as though it's my last. Um, I don't do regret. I don't do guilt, and um, I try not to be bitter. Um and um, I see myself and my generation as having had such a easier time than the generation that went before. So no matter how much we want to give out about not having houses or not having this or not having that, I mean the previous generation didn't even have washing machines didn't have fridges didn't have tennis didn't have whatever so I mean we want to kind of get over ourselves in ways so I'm happy I'm happy all the time um, and I could be corny and say I'm happiest at home lying on the couch with the three kids lying on top of me of course I'm happy doing that but that's life I mean it's just just generous state of, of um, happiness I suppose
0: Andrea can you sneak
2: in a bonus question bonus question would you ever consider creating a party just filled with fierce women
1: in my head, <laughs> uh, like i I'd, it disappoints me at times that um, the, the ladder pulling up behind aspect that sort of, you know, I'm moving on now, so you know fend for yourselves, ladies, um, and it annoys me the division within party politics um, that can then also lead then to the women not progressing. Um, and that's, again, we're back to the eighth, that achievement, and it was women. That we were to work together, and there was that trust there. And I honestly, and it's such a sexist thing to say, I don't think men could have done that. I think it's our, our personality. And what I would like to say is, because you haven't asked me, um, it really matters that we have fit women in politics in Leinster House. It, re- it really matters to decision-making, it really... It, because it, it's, it's not about women being better than men. It's about reflecting society. And I don't think that what happens in Leinster House reflects society because there's not enough women. And that's why we've had to do these things like the Citizens' Assembly to try and bridge that gap. And I don't think we should have to do that. You should have to get, bridge a gap if there's a temporary deficit. But if you see a deficit... You can't just keep putting an old plaster on the wound. There has to be, um, not for me, for the generation coming on, there has to be really stark, lump hammer style mechanisms brought in to getting it to 50-50. Because we're at nothing if we don't get to that. And they can all say it doesn't matter, but it does matter because repeal would never have happened without the people going out and voting. But it would never have got to that stage, only for the women that were elected in whatever year it was, 2016. And you guys might not agree with that, but I sat through it, and I can tell you, they only wanted fatal, fatal and extreme circumstances. And they hadn't even thought how they were going to frame that. There was never any plan for termination up to twelve weeks without limit—that was never on the agenda—and that was done through behind-the-scenes work with politicians and with the wonderful people in the medical community
0: and the constitutional convention. As well. Oh, and the constitutional
1: convention. Yeah. But at the actual, once that had happened, mm-hmm. the 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 groundwork in the doll it was the cross-party long before the whole thing kicked off. That sort of belief um, that there was that we could do this um, and the amount of information um, that people sought to inform themselves. And it was women that did that. And um, when we achieved that as politicians, but as a country, I think we can achieve anything. But the problem is Irish politics is so fractured, this left-right idea. It fractures. And, you know, getting getting the, the woman thing sorted in terms of balance, I think we have to we have to leave that element aside. It has to be a cross party effort. Um, you know, having thirty percent gender quotas and having the idea of the Senate where um no women got elected for Phoenix. That's not an accident. That's by design. That's because all the lads vote for all the lads. That's because all the lads are going around playing golf with all the lads, going to X with all they're going to Y with all the lads, all networking. Um, politics shouldn't be about golf and networking and backslapping, and trips. Politics should be about work on the ground. And, um, you know, I think we have to, as a party, Fianna has to look at the attrition rate. How come there was such a clear-out of women the last time? And it'll be interesting to see if you look at Jennifer Carl McNeil or Emer Higgins or the, the new women that are elected, I wonder will they get a second term? Because if you keep just letting women have them one term, sure, isn't that great? They'll never progress anywhere. Just let them in for one term. We can always use the excuse, oh, they'd be enough, f- no, couldn't have them in Cabinet or couldn't have them. So it'll be very interesting to see um, as time goes on, um, will there be... Um, and a huge effort made to actually genuinely address that um, in terms of bums on seats, female bums on seats, 50%. Um, and, 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 again, it's just going to take time. And I mean, the electorate obviously do the voting, um, but um, women have to be promoted to and have to be given a level playing field at least... Um, A level playing field is nice, but when you're coming at it from behind, you probably need extra support if you truly want to address it. But if senior politicians don't believe in their hearts that it's due to society issues and that it's due to the way things are and that it's just because women aren't arsed or women aren't into it or women don't want it, well, then we're going nowhere. Women do want to be involved, but it is... And the the adversarial nature is irrelevant. Sure, life is tough, but it's more about it has to come from the top and it has to be genuine. But you have to understand that if there is a threat that there are ten jobs going and that half of them need to go to women, the lads are, of course, going to try and shoot off all the women because it's going to leave more opportunities. you know, I would argue that because women have been so underrepresented for, I think it is when was your man around two thousand years ago, um, that um, you know we need to kind of it it we, we need to have very very strong mechanisms that to sort of balance that, that the balance to two thousand years of um, being on the back foot is the next 2,000 years, you know, maybe could we just, just flip it, and then, you know, in 2,000 years we can maybe <laughs> move on. But it's... I, 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 I find it concerning that large corporations have done... People who, who the bottom line is money have done the sums, and the sums say having women is better. But the politicians don't do those sums, um, it appears. And I think it's because certain politicians don't believe that it is more difficult for women and I believe that there are some politicians in Fine Gael that believe that they would have done as well in life if they were born in a halting site in Tullamore or brought up in a direct provision centre in Nisibull and in Athlone um, do you think Leo Vracker
0: is one of those politicians?
1: Um, not 100% sure because I don't know him personally very well um, but I know that I wouldn't be a pharmacist without um the help of the state um in terms of financial support and um, without the help of really good teachers and mentors, some of them nuns and um GA people, um that, that whole collective makes a person what they are. Um I I, I do think that, you know, it's not, it's not a case of you throw the seeds into the field and they all grow at the same rate. Some that just need a little bit more fertiliser.
0: Kate O'Connell, those were your 32 questions. You are a rare Fine Gael voice on the United Ireland podcast. So uh, well done for representing yourself so well. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, and it's been a pleasure to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs>